listen to the man who knew we finally had enough. So we started up a podcast and called upon his friends. No matter where you're from or your unique political bent, here's the story of our perfect American mess. Max in 99 with the facts to blow your mind. The nanny with the wicked sound design. So grab a seat and pour yourself a glass of writer's tears. Unfucking the Republic is about to Jefferson's an American saint because he wrote the words all men are created equal words he clearly didn't believe since he allowed his own children to live in slavery he was a rich wine snob who was sick of paying taxes to the Brits so yeah he wrote some lovely words and aroused the rabble and they went out and died for those words while he sat back and drank his wine and fucked his slave girl this guy wants to tell me we're living in a community don't make me laugh I'm living in America and in America, you're on your own. America's not a country. It's just a business. Now fucking pay me. UNFTR. Let's take stock of where we are as we careen into 2024. The underlying promise of this show from the outset is, as the name suggests, to unfuck the republic. Three years in, and I can't say things are going all that well. See, there's a tension in my mind right now that I'm trying to work out, like two people playing tug-of-war on either side of my brain. On the one side, there's the inner historian sitting in a library with elbow patches and a glass of scotch. By the way, my wife got me a whiskey subscription for the holidays, so you'll have front-row seats to my slow descent into alcoholism. I'm excited. Anyway, that inner academic is always ready with an anecdote from history to recalibrate my anxiety over the current state of affairs. In most areas of society that those of us on the so-called left care about, the arc of history has indeed bent toward progress. I think of my nonagenarian father-in-law, who grew up in the Great Depression, served in World War II, and had run-ins with corrupt and unsavory actors when building his business. Today, he has an iPhone trades stocks on the daily, and sends me Fox News clips because he knows it irks me. Or my grandmother, who recently celebrated her 100th birthday. Her husband, my mother's shitbag father, left her with three kids and no money in the early 1950s. So she worked herself to the bone and put my mother and her two brothers into foster care a couple of times when things got too tight. Today, she has great-great-grandchildren who were by her side when she blew out the candles. She, too, has an iPhone. Spend time with old people if you can. Sure, they can be rigid and stuck in their ways. Maybe they're a little racist or overly religious, cranky. But they have a long view on the world that helps assuage some of the anger you might feel in a particular situation or moment. Because lurking on the other side of my brain, tugging at the rope, is the progressive-minded writer and armchair warrior that knows that in America, at the very least, we have the capacity to solve so many afflictions. The person on the other side of my brain who looks at what just transpired at Harvard, for example. Only 30% of university presidents are women. Better than it was, but still underrepresented. The Ivy League schools were doing better, with six of the eight of them boasting female leadership in 2023. That was cut to four by the end of the year, after the disastrous hearings in Congress over anti-Semitism on campuses following the war in Gaza. Both were replaced by white men as interim presidents as a way to calm the donor classes 
and the conservative activists who had been fighting against these women and chalked up two more victories in their race to turn back the hands of time. In a recent New York Times op-ed, ousted Harvard President Claudine Gay wrote, quote, The campaign against me was about more than one university and one leader. This was merely a single skirmish in a broader war to unravel public faith in pillars of American society. Campaigns of this kind often start with attacks on education and expertise, because these are the tools that best equip communities to see through propaganda. But such campaigns don't end there. Trusted institutions of all types, from public health agencies to news organizations, will continue to fall victim to coordinated attempts to undermine their legitimacy and ruin their leaders' credibility. For the opportunists driving cynicism about our institutions, no single victory or toppled leader exhausts their zeal." End quote. Two of the most prominent figures behind her exit are hedge fund billionaire Bill Ackman and conservative activist Christopher Rufo. Ackman has been vocal about his campaign to eliminate diversity initiatives from the business world and higher education. Rufo stumbled into his 15 minutes of fame as the person who brought the critical race theory framework into the mainstream lexicon. In an exchange with a New Yorker writer, Rufo gleefully characterized CRT as, quote, the perfect villain. Its connotations are all negative to most middle-class Americans, including racial minorities, who see the world as creative rather than critical, individual rather than racial, practical rather than theoretical. Strung together, the phrase critical race theory connotes hostile, academic, divisive, race-obsessed, poisonous, elitist, anti-American, end quote. Investigative writer Lee Fang recently got his hands on the 6,000-word dossier about Gay's apparent scholarly misdeeds that was circulated to the Harvard board. As usual, it reveals a well-thought-out and assiduously planned effort to discredit a woman of color in a powerful position. If you want an erudite take on this affair, subscribe to Mark Lamont Hill's new YouTube channel. He's fast becoming my favorite pundit and scholar. So the conservative activists got their way again. One step forward, one step back. Then again, the puncher in me wants to say, who gives a shit what happens at the Harvard Corporation? Fuck the Ivy League. People are starving. People are dying. Household debt in America is at an all-time high. Homelessness increased by 12% in 2023. In 2022, 580,000 people were unhoused. Last year, it reached 650,000 people, according to the U.S. Department of Urban Planning and Development. Bottom up, middle out. I'm committed to building an economy from the bottom up and the middle out. You've heard me say that a thousand times. How's that working out? But have no fear. After all, the markets are ripping. In fact, the S&P 500 finished 24% higher and the Dow hit an all-time record by the end of 2023. The prospect of lower interest rates supercharged gains toward the end of the year and were so good that Elon Musk wound up back atop the leaderboard as both the richest man in the world and the biggest asshole. And Wall Street isn't done yet as the SEC is set to approve the creation of Bitcoin ETFs so more billionaires and investor bros can capitalize on fake money gains and wealth that no one worked to create. With the Dow Jones Industrial Average hitting a peak in 2023, Mother Earth said, hold my beer, with the hottest year on record. These winning streaks just continue unabated. So much to cheer, so much winning. Fitting that COP28 was presided over by an oil baron and concluded with a clear mandate to do something about climate change somehow at some point. While we're looking out across the burning planet, consider what's happening in Palestine. 
You'll have to really search for it if you're a consumer of mainstream media, of course, because the carnage in Gaza is so very yesterday. And we have more important things to look forward to, like the upcoming wedding between Golden Bachelor Jerry Turner and Teresa Nist. There's a huge and exciting twist in that Susan Knowles, who competed against Nist for Turner's affection, is going to be performing the ceremony. Can you believe it? The 18 square miles of Gaza City is smaller than Newark, New Jersey, with twice the population. 2 million people total over 140 square miles. 80% displaced, with 250,000 housing units damaged and 50,000 totally destroyed. 22,000 are dead in Gaza as of this writing, and 77 journalists have been murdered thus far. A record. As for the fate of the now homeless and forgotten people of Gaza, not to worry, as sources revealed President Benjamin Netanyahu's clandestine efforts to, quote, voluntarily migrate hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from Gaza to the Democratic Republic of Congo. These involuntary, voluntary refugees would be in good company with the more than 5.8 million displaced people in this war-torn nation. And they would all join the ranks of the 5 million displaced persons in Sudan, where 42% of the population faces acute food insecurity and 6 million are on the cusp of famine. They're pretty much on their own as 80% of the hospitals are out of service in Sudan, where civil war is ravaging the cities and the countryside. We might start to care about what happens in the DRC, however, because that's where the world's largest supply of cobalt comes from, courtesy of child labor and human trafficking. So stay tuned, because we might have to spread some democracy over there at some point. Beyond the fate of the Palestinian refugees, the war is beginning to bleed out. Rebel Houthi forces from Yemen are creating chaos in Middle Eastern shipping routes in protest of Israel's actions in the Gaza Strip. Israel recently bombed Lebanon, claiming to have taken out a Hamas leader. The fourth anniversary of the U.S.-led murder of Iranian General Soleimani was marked by two explosions that killed 95 Iranians, commemorating his death. Over in Ukraine, President Zelensky announced a reduction in the conscription age from 27 to 25 in an effort to recruit an additional 500,000 soldiers. So that's happening. But again, you'll have to sift through news of The Golden Bachelor and the status of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. What all of this reveals is the state of U.S. foreign policy, which is to say, we have none. Because we know that Americans suffer from a cocktail of overstimulation, amnesia, and a dash of who gives a shit if it's not happening to me. In lieu of policy or diplomacy, we'll just send weapons and cash so Zelensky can fight to the last Ukrainian, Bibi can cleanse Gaza of all Palestinians, and open up beachfront property. In fact, an Israeli real estate company thought it would be funny to create fake ads pre-selling lots in Gaza with waterfront views. Absolutely hilarious. But back to the United States. One of the highlights for me in 2023 came in the form of a YouTube debate between progressives Brianna Joy Gray on the one side and now married couple Crystal Ball and Kyle Kalinske on the other. I've talked about it before, so I won't rehash my feelings on it, but it's one of the best discussions about presidential politics because it reveals the fracture on the left. For many, the next election poses yet another existential threat to democracy in the United States and the planet if you consider yet four more years of Republican leadership on climate change and the possibility that any gains made under Biden might evaporate. Again, I've been clear that I don't see a Republican victory as the death knell for the infrastructure and investment programs domestically that don't involve clean energy. 
and even many of the clean energy initiatives are likely safe because they will positively impact red states and counties. But we face the prospect of another Supreme Court pick, cuts to entitlements, elimination of anti-poverty programs, and probably further tax breaks for the wealthy. But I take Brianna's points in the debate to heart more than Kyle and Crystal, which is not a popular take, mind you. For most Americans, especially people of color, what changed? Seriously, on the ground, day to day, Trump v. Biden. What's the fucking difference? Her point is well taken because it lines up with the accelerationist wing of the Republican Party personified by Steve Bannon, but for opposite reasons. See, her point is that the Republicans will always have the upper hand even when they don't have the numbers because they'll continue to put up increasingly extreme versions of Donald Trump. And when things are terrible economically, that person will win because people vote with their wallets. And when things are mediocre to okay, they'll vote for the establishment Democrat that inches further and further to the right to placate the moderate wings of both parties. Accelerationist theory dictates that extreme versions of our darkest visions are necessary to bring the whole thing crashing down so we can replace our democracy with autocratic and dystopian regimes that seek to maintain white male supremacy. So the far left and the far right gamble is the same. Put it all on either black or red in the hopes of busting the house and then rebuilding it in the vision that suits either side. What's astounding is how little we know about who's actually going to be on the ticket come November. Joe Biden is really old and probably exists on steroids and adrenaline shots to make it through the day. Donald Trump faces ballot challenges in 33 states with two already invalidating his candidacy. And this sets up a challenge at the Supreme Court where Clarence Thomas is among those who would rule on this matter despite clear conflicts of interest considering his wife supported the January 6th insurrection. But at least they have a non-binding ethics reporting procedure to handle such matters internally. So if Trump were somehow deemed ineligible, presumably surging Nikki Haley would secure the nod in the Republican primary. And as a preview of how she performs in a tight spot, she answered the super difficult question as to the cause of the Civil War in the United States, saying, quote, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do, end fucking quote. So somehow the very straightforward answer of, um, slavery eluded Nikki Haley. This is the woman who's besting DeSantis as the current odds-on favorite to represent the party of Lincoln if everything goes south with Trump. Good stuff. But if we take a Trump-Biden rematch at face value, it's interesting to see how the candidates stack up in current polls. Assuming Trump actually does make it onto the ballot in every state and isn't in prison, here's an interesting scenario from Suffolk University. Head-to-head, -head, Biden is polling at 43% and Trump at 44%, and that pretty much carries through to most of the polls that you'll find at least on 538. But when you add the independent candidates to the mix, Kennedy pulls 10% and gives Trump a 3% lead at 37 to 34. That adds fuel to the dumpster fire I was talking about late last year. See, I don't think Kennedy pulls from Trump as much as he does from Biden. It's something to really watch out for. I think Kennedy pulls from the fringes of both sides, but also has meaningful sway over African-American voters and some leftists that assume he's more of a radical leftist than he is a free market libertarian shill. But back to the tension. 
the scotch-drinking academic in a comfortable library chair believes that this too shall pass. After all, most Americans have jobs. Gay people can get married. There's a supercomputer in everyone's pocket. Planes don't crash into each other in midair. Renewable energy accounts for 20% of energy production in the U.S. We don't have troops deployed in combat on foreign soil. Inflation is cooling. Rates should come back down. And global population might peak in this century. Then again, the angry armchair warrior and writer knows that most American jobs don't cover the cost of living and we're sinking deeper into debt. The LGBTQ community is under assault in all corners of society as the DEI backlash deepens. That supercomputer in your pocket is causing mounting mental health crises, overloading us with information, and was constructed with child labor. There are too many planes in the air polluting the world even if they don't crash into each other. And yes, renewable energy is 20% of energy production. But then again, renewable energy is only 20% of energy production. We've armed the world to the teeth and we're letting others destroy one another in proxy battles with no solution. Inflation might be cooling, but the new normal is more than what most people can handle with household debt at an all-time high and the homeless population growing. Declining rates will still be higher than cost of living increases and only serve to fuel the equity markets. And after we hit the peak of 9.7 billion people at some point in this century, most believe that the climate catastrophe will have accelerated to such an extent that there will be mass migration and then extinction from some parts of the planet. And where does that leave the left? There's no Bernie. It's over. There's no movement. No progressive core coalescing around a specific vision. Insiders warn that APAC is committed to spending upwards of $100 million to unseat progressives just in the primaries. John Fetterman already tapped out like a bitch and declared, I'm not a progressive. On the new UNFTR site, we put together a directory of progressive resources to try and connect our words to actions. It was a great exercise, and I encourage you to check it out. There are literally hundreds of organizations, movements, sources, and resources striving to make the world a better place for women, children, marginalized members of society, animals, the earth, you, me, your neighbor, all working in parallel, but absent a common unifying goal. And that's what struck me when we put it together. So what do we want? What do you want? See, we're working against dark forces that are extremely clear on what they want. Divide and conquer. Keep us off balance. Maintain or enhance the status quo that builds private wealth among a precious few while burning the planet, your privacy, your civil liberties, and personal wealth. See, they want it all. It's the end of neoliberalism and the birth of Sheldon Wolin's inverted totalitarianism where a select few pull preposterously away from the rest of us while telling us it's for our own good. Now, we've done so much work together identifying what works and what doesn't, where we lost the plot and the path along the way. For example, the socialist movements were attacked by the capitalist class, but the successful fighting was done by the unions. Stage the conflict, then make us fight it out among ourselves. This particular fight revealed what most people want out of the little time we have in this life. A steady job, a nest egg, safety, security, a fair shake, and a square deal. 
In the pursuit of these things, we step over fellow humans living on the street because there are bills to pay, kids to raise, deadlines to meet. In the pursuit of these things, we're willing to sacrifice items higher up on the hierarchy of needs, but just as important to the human experience, like love, art, freedom of thought, mobility, decisions. I've laid out the most aggressive editorial plan for 2024 that I've ever had. Mental health, artificial intelligence, modern economic theories, guns, cars, the U.S. Postal Service, end-of-life care, LGBTQ plus issues, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Latin America, Haiti, Libya. I got wide eyes and a huge appetite. But each topic has to be examined through a deliberate lens and with a specific goal in mind. None of the resources in our new and growing directory matter without an overarching plan. None of these topics will resonate unless we understand how each one fits into a larger vision. Nothing that we say or do will mean a goddamn thing if we fight the forces that oppress us on the battlefields of their choosing. And they'll throw it all at you. Critical race theory, transphobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, Second Amendment, bodily autonomy, affirmative action. Every battle they choose is something near and dear to your heart, and they know that. And they'll stop at nothing to erase and demean you so you remain frustrated broke and distracted. It's the oligarchy's sleight of hand. Look over here while I take your house, your savings, your security, your mental and physical health. These things they take strengthen them and weaken you, compounding the gap between us and them. But there's more of us. We have the numbers. In all conversations in literature, we have to demonize the corporate class, and make them out to be the robber barons that they are. That's what Bernie nailed. That's the playbook that resonated. Where it faltered, in my opinion, was the personal nature of it. Forget about going after the billionaires. Now, I know it's tempting to put a face and a name to it, but the cult of personality and hero worship that surrounds figures like Musk, Warren Buffett, and Mark Zuckerberg makes it too personal. We have to tighten the proverbial noose around the faceless zombie corporations that produce billionaires that hire the lobbyists, skirt the tax code, pay the politicians, feed the political action committees, and buy the ads. We have to get lost in the nerdy stuff, support public figures and platforms that take direct aim at the corporate class. The corporate tax rate during the most prosperous period in the last century was between 40 and 50%, and we need that again. The tech monopolies need to be taken down a peg and busted up. Trust me, it won't kill innovation because it never does. In fact, it strengthens it. I mean, take the lessons that we learned from John Maynard Keynes and Joseph Schumpeter. Read the words of Bloody Rosa Luxemburg. Cleave to no system, as Bakudin refused to do, and accept only genuine attempts to dismantle the corporate establishment. Infect the Democratic Party with progressive ideals. For every Fetterman we lose along the way, there's a Summer Lee who's willing to fight for us. Now, if you want to dox someone, forget the CEO or the billionaire founder. Go after the board. Support politicians that promise to legislate Citizens United into oblivion. Hell, support the bipartisan effort to rewrite the lobbying rules. Heads down, eyes forward. As much as the elbow patch persona in me knows that we've made a ton of progress, the angrier part of me refuses to lay down and let the oligarchs write the next chapter of the American story. So here endeth 
the beginning. It's the end of the episode where we used to do show notes. Now we just talk through a few things. Reflect on what was said or what we should have done instead. Oh, post-show musings. Welcome to Post-Show Musings. It's Max solo in the studio, unfiltered. I needed to sort of shake off the cobwebs and uh, reorient my brain coming out of the end of the year. As you know from the newsletter and show notes last year, we spent a lot of time building out the new UNFTR 2.0 infrastructure, and we are really, really so pleased with the results, but it was a shit ton of work. So I hope you've gone to UNFTR.com to check out what we've done. It's become an incredible resource, kind of blown away by all the content that's on there, to be to be perfectly frank, now that we've consolidated all the platforms and the information into one single spot. Um, total labor of love. Re- some people behind the scenes here that just did an extraordinary job pulling it together. And then, of course, all credit goes to 99 for having the vision to pull this stuff together and, and, and make it really just look so beautiful and to sing. So thank you to 99 for that. And uh, thank you to the unsung heroes at our day job who made us look really good. It was a necessary step for us as we come into this year. Like I said, I have a very aggressive very aggressive plan. So far, about 30 episodes, just full on fuckings planned out for the year. A lot of the resources I already have in house and begun digging through them. A hit list of 20 or 25 phone of friends that are high on my list to get to this year. There'll be the inevitable quickies and topical creams that come up along the way. Some videos that uh, from the archives that I want to get out there that are going to be video exclusives, you know, shorter versions of stuff we've done in the past and updates and things like that. And uh, the newsletter. So in case you missed the announcements or the emails, we are doubling down on the newsletter. We still have the weekly standard newsletter that you can sign up for for free, but we've added a second one that is available just through membership tiers. And that is going to be uh, compiled by friends of the show, a little bit by myself and 99, and uh, the crew over at Newsbeat, who we've forged a great partnership with. So Newsbeat features and articles are going to be appearing on UNFTR.com as we build that news section out. They are going to be helping us uh, craft and pull together a weekly newsletter that is available just at the membership tier. And uh, the new membership tiers are out and they're public on the website and you can see them. And one of the cooler parts about it that I'm most excited for that we'll also be adding to the content matrix is a monthly hang where I get together with one, maybe two friends on a show and invite all of the members uh, from uh, certain tiers on up to hang with us, which will be super fun because I think it'll be really direct and really personal. The overarching goal was to craft a place, a digital place, and to archive all of the content and to help us really build a proper news infrastructure. Now, it's something that I've done before. did it in the past. That was was another lifetime. It feels uh, many, many moons ago when we were in the alternative news weekly business. And this is a little different. I'm not going to repeat some of the mistakes from the past, and technology makes it so much uh, easier and more efficient to, to put something together. But that's the goal here, is that we really break out this year as a proper news source and start contributing to contributing to the discourse in a more meaningful way. And I couldn't have done any of it without the support of the unfuckers that got us to this point. 
So all of the members, all of you that have donated, those of you that have left reviews on the podcast apps, those of you that have uh, contributed original thoughts and ideas and even book suggestions through our feedback uh, portals and just lifted us up generally. The Unfuckers at All group on Facebook that continues to create a meaningful community under the guidance of uh, so many, including, you know, Bob Knudsen, obviously, uh, but, you know, Dan Garcia and a number of other Unfuckers that have really made that thing a special place. And uh, here we are. It's going to be a very difficult and trying year. You know what it's like during a campaign year. All eyes are going to be on the United States. All eyes are going to be on this absolute clown and shit show that we've got at the top. And as I sit here today, I can't tell you with any certainty who's even going to be on the ballot. Seriously. I mean, Biden worries me in so many different ways. And I gave you the idea last year that my belief is that there's no there's no margin in the Democratic establishment making any changes to the ticket anywhere up or down ballot because why would they? It's better to just wait and see how this all plays out and to know who we're going to be fighting against on the Democratic side. And the Democratic establishment has all but snuffed out any movement among the progressives. That's what's really killing me right now, is that the progressive movement wasn't bigger than Bernie. I mean, if you think about that, that was one of the critiques of, of Obama that, you know, that is that he did not build a deep enough bench to have momentum to beat back somebody like Trump. I mean, it's amazing to think that we could go from Barack Obama to Trump. And you know I'm no Obama, you know, sycophant. In fact, as I've argued, I think he is probably one of the most capable Republican presidents that we've had. Period. End of story. But there was a movement surrounding him that really pleased the liberal establishment at a minimum and some of the moderate Republican establishment. But it 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 didn't work. The economic structure of it didn't work for too many people. And there were too many promises broken along the way for it to really resonate. And in that vacuum came Bernie. And there was so much to love about what he was bringing to the table and the movement that was surrounding him. And, and I'd like to think that the, the progressive movement is bigger than one person because I don't think it's healthy to ascribe to the great man theory at all. But there was something about his, his message, his approach, his character, his persona, his uber consistency over 50 years of public service that resonated at the right time post-Occupy and uh, enabled him to capture the zeitgeist. And we don't have that right now. What we have is a squad that is under attack and under fire from within and from outside. What we have is a, even though it seems like it's complete chaos on the Republican side, believe me, that chaos is completely on brand and on message. And once they have the ability to align behind a particular candidate, you'll see they'll coalesce the strategy will be unified, at least for the time being, and they'll push for their person, whomever that may be. There's too many spoils out there for them to gain. And there's too many things for them to unravel in their acceleration theory toward the bottom here. And so, yeah, we've got our work cut out for us. That's why I was trying to cut through the clutter. And as I was putting the editorial calendar together and putting the finishing touches on the website and sitting here with sort of a, a brand new, fresh perspective 
saying, what do I want to, what do I want to accomplish? What am I, what am I aiming for? The history stuff is great. We got to look forward. We have to look at what's next. We have to challenge ourselves to say, well, what didn't work and why? And can we do better? And who are we fighting against? Because I mean that. They really do have us at every corner. They've got something that will just, will piss you off and, and take you off the path. Whether, you know, fighting for all these, you know, against all these social justice measures, things that were like exciting for us all to work on because we felt like we were making progress in so many areas. And then one by one, they picked us off. They picked us off in the legal realm, adding justices to the Supreme Court, thanks to the decades, decades long effort of the Federalist Society and Leonard Leo. They won the propaganda battle with Fox News, News Nation, and all the other bullshit sites that are out there, the billionaire class figured out that they could game the system by supporting PragerU and the Daily Wire and get out there and game the algorithms to put information in front of you that feels like it's news, but it's not. And then here we are fighting for our own individual battles for what matters most to us without really recognizing that if we don't get money out of this thing, if we don't steal back the economic levers that make these political action committees and think tanks and conservative outlets so powerful and so impactful that are literally poisoning the minds of so many people in this country and making them afraid of their own shadow. If we don't, if we don't hit them where it hurts in the pocketbook, we're not going to make any gains or any strides on any of this stuff. They're just going to they're just going to move one battle to the next battle to the next battle. I mean, remember, it was like it was all about the vaccine and it was all about the mandates and it was all about personal choice and freedom and then critical race theory and then you know, moving against the transgender community. And and now it's against uh, the liberal elites that are affirmative action choices at the top of the uh, these elite institutions and Ivy League schools and you know, there's too many women in charge now, and we're, we're giving too much to uh, marginalized communities. And I mean, it's the same, it's the same arguments. It's Reagan's welfare queen arguments all over again. And it's, uh, you know, the same affirmative action debates and all of, all of those things. We've been having them since the beginning. That's why I included the clip at the very top of this. You know, America is a business. Thomas Jefferson was fucking his own slaves. And we're, we're built on a poisonous, poisonous history. And for all of the strides that we make, and I want to be a cheerleader. Listen, I watch movies like Miracle, and I root for the U.S. team, even though I know the outcome. And I cheer and I get weepy whenever we beat the Soviets. I, you know, I, I love that shit. I love American, you know, rah-rah propaganda. You know, I grew up in the original Red Dawn era. And I was like, fuck yeah, man, we beat these no-name communists from somewhere else and some really bizarre vision of the world. I love that stuff. I love America. One of my favorite quotes is from James Baldwin. He says, I love America and I reserve the right to criticize her. And we should be critical. We should always be critical. But being critical doesn't mean you're not patriotic. So I'm rooting for us. I really am. I'm rooting for us with every inch of my body. But I'm rooting very hard against the corporate class that is anything but democratic. 
is anything but wholesome, that wants anything but what's good and what's right other than shareholder value. There's so many technical things that we can do with the right administration to squeeze the bullshit out of the corporate class, but none of it's possible unless we take over the Democratic Party. We're out of time. Got to be done. And don't worry about John Fetterman. Fuck that guy. Because I know people are looking at that and being like, man, we, we, we can't catch a break on the, on the left, uh, you know, on the progressive side. This guy's just such a disappointment. He's one dude. Fuck him. All right, we got Bernie. That's all we got pretty much in the Senate. We're just going to have to keep rolling through Congress and taking, taking things over district by district. But it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. $100 million APAC is committing. Good Lord. Just to get rid of a handful of progressive people. I mean, seriously? This is where that money's going? It's astounding. So, yeah, we got the fight of our lives. We're, you know, ahead of us. And everybody always says, oh, this is the most consequential election of our lifetime. Well, yeah, you know, when the stakes keep increasing, that's a fair statement to make. Each, each one can be the most consequential election of your lifetime. That is entirely possible. And so here we are. So forgive me for this rather fractured and raucous beginning of the year. I, I hope I didn't sound like I was all over the place because my, my thoughts are actually pretty clear, which may not have come out in this episode, but we have a lot of work to do. I'm committed to doing it if you're willing to come along with me. So I'll see you in show notes next week. We'll see you for a, a real proper unfucking next weekend. And um, let's kick some ass in 2024. Thank you for all you've done for us. We appreciate every every inch of your support, and we feel we feel it all. It's all very meaningful. So thank you for bringing us to where we are. Go to unftr.com. Check out what we've built if you haven't yet, and let's do this. <laughs>